0: Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from one million to one trillion. Today's guest is a very special one. Her name is Stephanie Toledo, the founder at Oyecare. Stephanie, or Ste, as you are, um, well known in in the ecosystem. Uh, Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today.
1: Hi, Mike, it's a super pleasure to be here as well. Uh, thanks for having me. And also thank you for everybody listening. Uh, I hope this is a valuable you know, piece of conversation.
0: Absolutely, thank you again. And uh, yeah, let's get to know more about you and, uh, and about Oiecare. Uh but maybe let's let's start with your story and uh, how it bridges the, the story of uh, Care.
1: Perfect. So, you know, like everybody else, my story is pretty long, but I guess the highlights are I was born in Brazil and then raised between Miami, a farm in the countryside of Brazil, and sometimes um, randomly in Germany for a few months. And this led me to grow up uh, not necessarily close to one doctor or close to one healthcare system. And then when I uh, reached, I guess, puberty or my adolescent years, I felt very lonely in what was happening to my body. What was I feeling, uh, what was right, what was wrong. Um, and I think for the bigger part of my life, I thought this was, you know, only a step problem, only a problem that I had, uh, only to find out around my thirties that this is a problem that reached over 70% of the population uh, of the female population. So, yeah, I guess that became the seventy
0: percent seven seven zero, right?
1: Yeah, well, this is when you ask women if they feel comfortable sharing with their physician, their doctor, what's really happening to them. Uh, almost seventy percent say no; they don't feel super comfortable. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's that became then my mission to really try to bring science and medicine uh, to women so they can have the support and the autonomy to make the best decisions for their lives and for their bodies.
0: I love it. It's, uh, and and when when I know that you also have an amazing background. So you have been involved with with rocket internet, you've been at, at, at McKinsey, uh, both in if I'm not, if I'm not wrong, uh, in in New York, uh, um, and also at um, private tech with your investment firm uh, at the time. So how has been the gem, the gem from uh, you know investment banking, investors, um, also of course the tech ecosystem into creating your own uh, venture with a very strong mission that you already explained it. Uh.
1: Yeah, um, of course, and sorry about that. I kind of glanced over my professional experience. So I went to business undergrad and then to business graduate school. Um, my undergrad was in Brazil at a, school, at a school called FGV. And then I later pursued an MBA at Wharton at UPenn. And in between, I first worked in investment banking uh, for a couple of years uh, doing pure m and in Brazil. And after that, I went to work for one of the rocket internet startups that was called Tricai. It was basically a dafti or lazando for kids in Brazil. Um, There I was acting CFO and what today would be called a product person or the person that was between you no know, it and marketing at the time i think we didn't have fancy names yeah. that we have today like tech and <laughs> engineers right. and 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 growth um we called it it and marketing at the time so i was in between those teams trying to uh, manage them and trying to organize priorities and also uh the cfo that is responsible for all the cash flow management international
0: and investor
1: relations um so that was <laughs> i i don't have to say it it was a he, great school for what I'm doing today. Mm -hmm. After the MBA, I went to work for McKinsey in New York. Um, There I worked for mostly due diligence projects on the buy side for consumer companies. Uh, So beverages, Mm -hmm. alcoholic, non-alcoholic, perfumes, fashion. Uh, It was very intense short-term projects uh, that were drilling down the market and understanding what were the dynamics of the market. That also helped me for in understanding if there was a potential opportunity in femtech in Brazil or not. So I think I used those skills very much at the beginning of OIA. And then my last job before um, deciding to really come back to Brazil and founding OIA was at a small private equity fund that was trying to invest in uh, medicinal cannabis worldwide. So mm-hmm. I was sitting in New York and traveling a lot to London, but that was also in a sense a school for what I'm doing now um, and what to do and what not to do as well. Uh, so I guess right. all these experiences were really intense, um, but they also taught me a lot. So I'm very grateful for for all of those experiences. Although I must say I was never happy in, in either of them and I'm really happy now. <laughs> so I think right. when you align your skills, um, your heart core skills that you learn you know, in, in academia or in, In more structured environments, to a um, mission—that's when I actually found true happiness. So, um, I mean, true happiness is, I guess, a bit too shiny, but you know, fulfillment at least. Fulfillment,
0: (laughs) exactly. That's that's super important for uh, an entrepreneur, and especially for for the journey that we need to go through. Uh, It's important to have very strong uh, why. We will discuss it a little bit later uh, on the show but um, we understand the, the, the mission and um, tell us a little bit more about so how are you uh, executing or uh, making uh, the mission happen or the purpose happen?
1: Okay, so like I mentioned before, our mission is to help women make better decisions and more informed decisions for their lives and for their bodies. Uh, we summarize that mission in autonomy for uh, women. And today we have two services. Uh, One is a fertility awareness service. And the other one is just an online gynecological service or OB-GYN service. Uh, The fertility awareness one helps women understand where on the fertility timeline they are and what are the best plans uh, for them, given not only their bodies, but also their life context, their life plans, et cetera. Um, and if it so happens that, for example, uh, they should, or the best outcome for them is to freeze their eggs, we help them find the clinic that is suited for their you know, cap- capability to pay, or their time, or their geography. The second, the online ob guide, is very much, um, you wake up with a problem, you don't know how to solve it, you need to solve it because it feels very uncomfortable, Uh, you don't feel at ease to share with your boss, someone that works with you, someone that lives with you, but you definitely need help. And going all the way to a doctor sometimes seems too, you know, too grand of a mission. It's too stressful. You have to tell half the world that you're doing it. Um, Versus for us, you can connect uh, online in half an hour, and then you have uh, access to an OB-GYN that can help you right away. And that happens, those two services happen from home, discreet and at an affordable price. So this is how we are doing this today. This is just the beginning, I would say. Um, Our website went up into the air in May last year. So we are just over a year old and still improving very much, still learning very much on how we can fulfill our mission.
0: Sounds sounds amazing, and of course, um, we've been covering uh, in the last episodes the Brazilian markets. But you are, uh, of course, focused um, on on Brazil at at this stage. Are you already operating in in all states? Uh, so, how has been the process of uh, launching uh, care? Since since we are virtual, the yeah.
1: state matter uh, is more fluid for us um yeah. but for we launched our first service to launch was the fertility awareness journey and that very had a very specific target market which was women that work um they are between 28 and 35 uh, they usually have some sort of uh, health insurance and they use their health insurance to take care of their health um, it. but then just just so happens that their health insurance usually doesn't cover fertility and that was the very specific demographic for our first service. And mm-hmm. those women usually live in Sao Paulo, in Brazil. So yes. 90% of the customers of our first service were Sao Paulo based, the city of Sao Paulo based. And now with the second uh, service, the what we call SOS Soya, which is the online ob mm-hmm. um, we are actually in 21 states and over 200 cities. So, But that happened naturally, I guess, just because there are way more women that are target market for the second than for the first.
0: Super, super interesting. Was this on purpose that you started with a very um, specific niche and uh, launching a very specific service before trying to make something much more open and and scalable? And that would serve the masses would say uh, with respect, of course.
1: Yes. Yes, that was very, uh, on purpose so when I, yeah, that was, that was very intentional when I started talking about femtech in Brazil in 2020, um, femtech wasn't really a thing. And at least in Brazil, and, and I needed to prove a concept. I needed to prove that was <laughs> a way to solve in an innovative way, a problem that's been around for a while. So I chose a very specific a segment of the market, a very specific problem to try to prove that I can bring innovation to how we deal with this problem. So that was fertility for me. Um, there were a couple of data points based on research that I used towards making this decision. So fertility was a top concern for women between 30 and 40, which were women that were spending the most on health care. And then also that had the least problem with online or virtual care. That was a very strong data point on the female population in Brazil. But also looking abroad, I saw that fertility was very much a very common topic among the biggest femtechs. So there are a couple like pill delivery, uh, fertility and maternity are, I guess, and then now menopause is starting to pick up. So these are the common themes uh, for the more successful femtechs abroad. That doesn't mean necessarily that, you know, what happens abroad is successful in Brazil but I think that was a good yeah, um, yeah a good uh, second data point. And then the third was that I was the target market for the service. So I'm now 33, at the time I was 31 and very much the target user of that service. So um, I was like, hey, it's easier probably to launch a prototype that I understand <laughs> as a user than a prototype that's that right. I don't understand. So based on these three reasons, that's why I started with Pertilly, knowing very well that this wasn't, a product or a service big enough to sustain a company in the long term so yeah right. that's why we also since the beginning um asked women that came for a fertility service what else can I help you with and then 70 mm-hmm. percent of our women told us the online OBGYN so the online OBGYN actually we launched it based on feedback of the niche market but actually <laughs> it encompasses a huge part of the market.
0: Yeah, it's we we all know it's super important at this stage to to have focus and it shows uh, a lot of focus, especially on on the launch and understanding um, what what is our ideal customer uh, profile and where. Uh, can we address um, the most painful needs and at the same time bring the best solution for for that pain right so uh, easy set very difficult to do so congrats for for what you have done uh,
1: it's a daily exercise every day and especially because uh, most of us that work at OIA feel very much in touch with our mission with what we are doing so it's an it's a very hard exercise to focus and to let go some of the problems we can't solve right now, because, you know, in the ideal world, we would be solving all the problems right now.
0: <laughs> Especially elf and being women and people that we know, uh, that, that we would like to, to have the best lives that they can. And we want to help. So the temptation is even higher, right? It's, it's not offering a kind of a layer of a specific, uh, Productivity up, uh, someone said on the show um, before. It's it's really that we are seeing someone uh, with a pain in terms of health, and and we want to help. So it's it's a little bit more difficult to to stay focused. And and in that terms is- of the. The so one of the issues that any entrepreneur that starts a venture thinks about is uh, how should I build my founding team? What would be the, my ideal co-founders? What are the skills that I that I might want to complement me? Should I go as a solo founder? So what is your case? what, what, if, what has been the thought process uh, around building your your founding uh, team or, or, or going as solo founder?
1: I think it's important to highlight that my case is just my case it doesn't mean it's right or wrong. Um, so I think that when I was at the beginning of my journey and I still consider very myself very much at the beginning of the journey but I felt a lot of pressure to get a co-founder to find you know a tech team right away uh, to like all these all these must dos um, that we lead, that we read online especially um, or get nice. feedback from some a couple of investors. And so I felt very much that pressure. And what the reality was that I didn't really find a co-founder that I felt uh, a lot of affinity with. Um, Mm -hmm. Most of the people that I trusted and really would build a company with were a bit risk averse in 2020. That was our pandemic year, our first pandemic year. So I decided to continue on this project on my own um, and to see where it goes. And I guess at some point you can't really reverse that back, um, you know, because you already have a baby, and then you can just start sharing the baby with someone once you <laughs> have it. Um, but it, in what happened to me is that I actually found a super strong founding team, um, and what I mean with super strong are really skills that were really important st- strategically for the company at the beginning, still are. Like we, like I said, we still are at the at the beginning of this company. So uh, the skills that I found are, maybe they sound a little soft, but I think they were super important. So first, people that I trusted, they're really people that I know in and out. Um, I either worked with them or grew up near them, or uh, I know of, you know, the doctor, for example, the hospitals that she worked for um, and her, reputation in those places, um, and the reputation of those places. So, you know, I think this level of trust is really important, because that's the baseline. It's just, you need the baseline, a common baseline of trust, and then you can talk about the other stuff. Um, And then the other stuff, in my case, are very different kinds of intelligence. So I have a person that is very good with branding. I have a person that is very good with logic, and they have another person that's really good with people <laughs> and and she's a doctor. So um I think all these skills um they are actually part of an intelligence that are in inherent to this person, so inherent to these people and uh they bring different they bring these different kinds of intelligence to Oya on a daily basis. And why that matters is because we are building something that hasn't been built before. So I really need people um, to be creative to use the resource that they nice. have, even if it's just in their mind, to think about how to solve these problems that we are, you know, setting ourselves um, to solve. It's not about only oh taking you know the formula of a fintech and executing. It's it's random. We don't know actually. We're still writing the formula, so that's very important. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. All of these. Yeah. Sorry, just to finalize, no, all no, of go, them go um, had some experience, but I wouldn't say they were super senior, but that was okay too, because I think sometimes the senior you get, the more, you know, binary you are, you like, this is right, this is wrong, and this is how we do it, this is how we don't do it. And I think there is a, you no, know, there's a very good time in your career or in your personal development and professional development where you are already have some experience, but you're not you know, married to some sort of solving problems. So I think that was very interesting too. But it,
0: it, it makes me think also of the, the builder and, and the scaler, right? So typically in the beginning, mm-hmm. you are in a search mode and you want someone with open, was a very, uh, that's it, an open mindset to test new things and to, uh, to, to kind of build a new journey or a better experience to to the patient. Uh, and sometimes when we have been serving the patient for so many years in, in a certain way, we don't question ourselves if there is a better way uh, than the one we are, uh, we are doing. So uh, it makes sense to have that kind of curiosity. And uh, in a certain way, I think that all the founders would say this, sometimes our innocence and ignorance helps us to do things that are much better and also to have the course just to, to jump and, and to trust that we will find out a better way of doing uh, things. Um, so it's a very interesting uh, point. So what you were saying is that you are a solo founder, but you were able uh, across the initial team that you put together, uh, to ensure that we have the right people on the right seats that complement you and that creates really a, a strong founding team. Uh, even not having the formal title of uh, of co-founders, you you consider them your your founding team, uh, and of course you you are the mother of, of of the baby who started it. And and I agree uh, with you that um, I think it's it's better to. Um, it, it, having a co-founder is 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 something that needs to come up naturally so if we are not able to find that co-founder that really have the perfect chemistry with us i think it's better to go alone than just to force it and to have someone that uh, it will it you will have problems uh, uh later uh in in the path so i think that that's a very good um, journey that we we share here today thanks for sharing
1: No, no worries. And I think that's something also that crossed my mind when I was, you know, um, feeling the pressure about having a co-founder. When I would talk to older, like my parents' generation, they would all tell me, don't get a partner because they don't really know the term co-founder, but like, don't (laughs) get a partner. Why would you do that? Um, And then I would talk to VCs and they're all like, where's your co-founder? (laughs) <laughs> Whereas your technical co-founder? Exactly. Like, oh man, wow, how are these, how are these ideas so different? Um, and I think it's all a, a, a matter of risk management, right? So for example, for VCs and their perspective, it's way better for risk management if you have a co-founder, which I totally get. Mm-hmm. But then forcing it uh, with someone that might not be a good potential you know, co-founder is a super high risk for you, for the person that is trying to found the company. So I think that it's just, you know, every case is a case and has to be looked and thought about uh, specifically, but I think it's it's, the underlying uh, base is really this perception of risk.
0: and that's one of the most important causes of of failure of of startups it's of course conflicts uh, among uh, co-founders as, as we know this also happens in the in the life ventures uh, of course it's it's uh, it's it, it happens too in the in the business uh, ventures so and, and of course this is a very important point that you raise it uh, which is um, this temptation also to have a very large co-founding team to cover uh, all the ads that we need, kind of even talking about the technical founder, it could be the the CTO, but also the chief medical officer that will lead medical, that will bring some uh, reputation and credibility into, into the venture. So, What's your position on that? I, I I know that of course you were you were able to partner with those people. Maybe sometimes we can also invite, uh, for instance, the, the the medical person to be on our advisory board. Um, so there are other ways that we can ensure that we have the right people on the right seats without being in the co-founding team, right? That's kind of the strategy that you are following, for instance.
1: Uh, not really no. I have a, I mean, I have a medical in my co-founding team, I have a marketing in my co-founding team, oh, and ops is. and finance and strategy. And now I have a very strong CTO as well. She might not be found the team, but she is um, you know part of part of this small group of leaders uh, that we have oh, at Oya. And I think, for example, on the medical part, depends on your business for us since we are dealing directly with women uh, and we're giving their care giving them care it was very important to have the doctor on board from the beginning because you know like today she does less of client facing stuff but at the beginning she was the one doing the client client facing stuff all of them and telling us how it went and telling us what went wrong what could be better so she i guess in in a year, she's probably done over a thousand, uh, you know, <laughs> patient deliveries for Oya, and, and that is a lot of knowledge. That is a lot of tests and learn. Um, right. So, and, and now she has a team. She has a team of nine that she trains and manages and adjusts. Uh, but she wouldn't be able to do that if she hadn't had the experience before. You know, right. so this is just an example of of um, how it's important to have. What you need uh, to to test the product. So, for us, it was important to have a doctor on the ground, um, you know, helping us scrappy and you know helping us deliver care. But if you are, for example, a research healthcare, maybe you don't. Maybe that's when you only need a medical board. But um, I think it really depends on your business and what you need to prove at the right. very beginning.
0: Yeah. exactly okay so let's let's jump into uh, another topic that uh, founders uh, typically love to to get to know more and of course again uh, there is a, a common playbook but every single journey is is different which is the the fundraising topic so you have raised an initial round uh, pre seed round and, and the seed round uh, the seed round this year already uh, so Please just, just let us know how has been uh, the rounds when, when they, they happened, so what, what has been the, if, if you can disclose the, the amounts, et cetera, et cetera. So, and what have been some of the lessons learned from, from those rounds?
1: So we had two rounds so far, um, one at the very end of 2020, and then the other at the very beginning of 2022, so about a year in between them. Um, the first round, I would call a pre-seed. It was a small round. It was under uh, a million USD and we got diluted quite a bit, I would say. Um, that was very much because very, there very was very low confidence in the femtech space. Um, so we tried to use that money, like I mentioned before, to prove our concept uh, with a very specific problem that was fertility. Um, and on top we also uh, developed a very strong brand with amazing images and content so we we really sat down and thought okay what can we do with very little money it's way more than zero so we know we can do something Uh, maybe we can't buy ads on google or facebook or or, or meta um, but we can do something with this money so we decided to like we mentioned before focus on very specific things Um, so we launched this uh, service, this fertility service, super low code and very high touch. Um, So, you know, my founding team very present doing everything. Uh, And also we developed this branding with content and beautiful imagery and design. Um, And those resulted in very good, I guess, NPS and client outcome. So we have uh, consistently our NPS is above 90, usually around 100. Um, women refer us to their friends. So our referral rate is, since we launched, probably now around 50, but 50% of our base. So those numbers allowed us to raise a seed. Um, And I think also what helped throughout uh, 2021 is that Femtech became a thing. Femtech became in vogue in Brazil. Like suddenly people started talking about it. Um, The press was, very much involved in every step that Oya would take although we were super early stage Uh, so Oya Care was in the press a couple of times so I think that helped us to raise um, a seed so I would say we raised a proper seed for the valuations of I guess I don't know if the valuations are going to stay the same but we raised a 3 million uh, USD round as a seed Um, and I I think that was a good round I think It can always be better. It can always be worse. But I think that was a fair round for what we had at the time. And, you know, the proof of concept, the good numbers and uh, the team. And now with this money, we are trying to build a proper platform. So that is bring tech infrastructure to this product um, so we can scale it without losing the NPS. So building a tech team and continuously to continuously train or medical team is very top of mind. And then also continue to um, form this strong brand um, outside of Sao Paulo, I would say. I think we're stronger in Sao Paulo than anybody anywhere else. And then lastly, don't let referral rates, um, I guess, pick pick down. It's It's going down because we've been dabbling with other sources of, of uh, new users. And you know we can't lose focus of referral because I think that's the best source of new users for Oya. Oh yeah. um, not only is it cheap, but also gives us this kind of like confidence. Okay, women like us so much, they're telling their friends and their siblings. Yeah.
0: If you were able to raise a larger round at, at pre-seeds, uh, do you think that you would have been investing more on on tech or would you follow exactly the same strategy being very low-code and uh, high-touch? Because I think this is also one of the common um, lessons learned from entrepreneurs. Maybe I would have uh, started leaner on on tech and have invested more on understanding better the customer, understanding what is the pain point without starting um, programming too much uh, in the beginning. Probably. Oh, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I probably <laughs> if you,
1: if you asked me like, oh, if you had found your current CEO, you know, when you were founding the company, would you have invited her to join in board? Yes, probably I would have. Um, and inside, I think that was, you know, a blessing in this guide, but it's really hard to say no when you have the chance, right? It's, yeah. it's when you don't have it, when you have a constrained environment, you need to be creative and you need to like overly focused. So that happened to us. Um, and hindsight, you know, it's probably was a blessing in disguise. Like I mentioned, mm-hmm. but, um, I, I would have that being said, if I can get advice <laughs> to people, I would probably say, you know, start lean, start low code. Uh, test, test, test for a year, try to get those NPS and referral rate numbers, and then only then get a tech, you know, start coding. Um, and I think what really also helped us is all these it was not only one low code solutions, right? One low code linked to another low code. Like it was just like a a low code kind of like, I don't know, (laughs) trombone. Um, And we very quickly realized what would break first. Um, So we started coding there, you know, versus a year earlier, we were like, oh, let's do an app. Let's do like a fertility app. And that was not even close to being the first place we should start coding. so, you know, <laughs> I think you learn uh, from yeah. what are the actual priorities. Um,
0: exactly. Yeah. I like that blessing in this guy's uh, kind of uh, concept. I, I think it helps in a, in a certain way that you need it to be. Of course, it, in, it is not easy, but uh, at the end of the day, I think it, it helps in the beginning because again, there is the temptation of trying to do too many things and, and the focus again, it's very easy to say, but should be on helping the patient. Uh, if we are successful with the patient, then it's all about improving the tools to be even more successful, helping or being able to automate and and scale that experience for many more patients without losing the quality of service that you were talking about that is measured by the NPS and and the, the referral. Right, I really enjoyed the the metrics. I think that this is really important for entrepreneurs that are listening. What are the metrics that you should focus uh, on? You talked about the NPS, the patient outcomes, which is critical in an health tech uh, startup, and um, and the referral rates. Right? So super clear. Uh, it's, it's important again also to have focus on what to measure uh, in terms of the key metrics. And um, yeah, you, you were saying that. Uh, in the beginning, of course, the category was not yet very well known and th- this was a new category that nowadays is much more um, sexy and people want to back and see the future and see the need and see the mission, the purpose and feel connected with that. But uh, always been your experience also uh, educating uh, both selling the dream to the team to join you to build the future of uh, women uh, health tech, and at the same time, having the investors understanding the, the big opportunity that was in front of them. Uh, but of course that they were not very educated about that opportunity. And, and their job is also to reduce the, the risk uh, or mitigate the risk Uh, in terms of uh, venture capital. Of course, it's a very risky kind of category, but at the same time, their job is to mitigate the risk in in such a high risk environment.
1: Yeah, I have to be super honest that I don't think I was ever successful in convincing an investor that didn't believe in the market, in the femtech market, that there was a market. (laughs) I think all of the investors that I talked to that at the beginning, didn't really believe in femtech, considered niche or considered a small market, I was not able to flip them over. Um, so I was actually successful or I could have good conversations and potentially an uh, investment from investors that already believed in the market. And then they were more interested in understanding who I was, who my team was, what were the numbers that we had already um, achieved. So I think that was A a much better conversation, uh, which led, if not to an investment, a good relationship, good feedback, and you know uh, all of that. So, yeah, I don't even know if that is possible to convince someone you know that doesn't believe in something that there is something. Uh, Maybe some people are able to do that. I was not, um, for probably a number of reasons. Um, But I think that's okay. And when you ask me like, how was I? able to convince my team well I think that was easy because I just honestly shared what I truly believed in shared the numbers of my research and then the ones that identified with it they they come uh, and they come happy with full of energy and applying their best uh, skills to help solve this problem so I think that is that is not not the hard part um, I think that's that's not I wouldn't say it's easy but that that goes. You know, uh, that in Brazil we have this word that's called it flui it, fl- it flows yeah. yeah, it
0: flows it flows exactly.
1: Yeah
0: love it. <laughs> uh, good point. and And I think that for that the the why and the mission is is super, super important, right? So I know that you give a lot of value to to the purpose and and to the why. Um, w- what are your thoughts on that and why is it so important for you? uh, with the journey of all care?
1: Yeah, I do give a lot of importance with the why and the mission. Um, I genuinely believe in that book that says it starts with why. And for me personally, it just, um, you know, if I'm not building something that is really worth it for me, that is really aligned to what I want to leave behind in the world and to my my nature and to who I am and what I believe in, it's probably not worth the opportunity cost. You know, i I would probably go to a job where I have a fixed salary, a very amazing health insurance, and um, you know, a good lifestyle. But it, so for me personally, it has to be very important. So I will take the risk, um, and happily will take the risk. So I think that's my. Personal uh, perception and why it is so important for me, and then on a company basis, and what I see happening uh, in the last, you know, year and a half, almost two years now, is that the start with why really helps attract people. So we have a disproportionate amount of people that apply for our jobs. Uh, you know, it's proportionally for the size of our company. For example, we had four. Job openings in tech um, this couple of weeks, and we had over 200 people apply, and we oh, are a company of 24 people, so it's it's just it's disproportional, you know. Um, uh, so that that is very much something that helps to to attract a class 18. The mission helps with that, um, and then the other thing it helps on a daily basis. For example, in January, we really had a hard month. Sales uh, were down from, you know, last years where sales weren't even that incredible and we didn't really know what to do. Like we have no idea what to do. We have no idea where we're going to. We were just, you know, about to close around and we're like we don't even know what to tell our new investors about this month. Um so we we centered, we remembered our mission and refocused our priorities. Um so, you know, that exercise that will probably happen in most of the startup lifetimes you know both of the startups Mm -hmm. have that moment in time where they like sit down I'm like oh my god what should I do now um I guess if you you don't have that mission that you go back to and remember and recenter uh and use it to align uh everybody and focus I think that's really hard because then you start you know going in all directions and uh flipping really why you're there and what you're doing Mm -hmm. so I think these two points are very important for me for me, and and that I mean that's my opportunity cost. Um, and then the second one is to really have the team there in the first place, and then second, focused even in hard times.
0: Super important, and it it also explains how important it is to um, to spend time or to invest time on building a strong mission, vision, and uh, value statements. And, and even more important than building, I'm not sure if this is the right uh, wording for that. It's it's really um, trying to to take a photo to what is already happening, right? So what 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 has been the why, and what we would like to build? What are the values that we are made of? Instead of trying to build something artificial or fake, it's really um, building what we believe in and what is our culture. And that is really, really something difficult to fabricate. You feel it or you don't feel it. I
1: think, I mean, there are some, some, um, companies that were founded just because there was a huge market opportunity and, you know, Maybe the founder didn't have that opportunity cost perception that I have. And I think that's super valid too. I think, like I mentioned, you know, every story is a story, every case is a case. Um, This is my case and Oya Kara's case.
0: Love it. So that, this is the moment where we get into that moment of the show where I ask a quick uh, question and, and you give me a, a, a brief answer. Uh, we will start with, with free, free questions where we are, which are much more related about reflecting about your journey. So if you would have the opportunity to have a coffee or a tea with a stay at the beginning of care, uh, what advice would you offer to your younger self?
1: Oof, <laughs> that's just so <laughs> hard. Um, I would say take more breaks. Take more breaks.
0: Important one. What are you the most proud of on your journey so far?
1: My team. Love.
0: You, you are the guest who are being more brief uh, answering to, to my questions. Well then, finally, someone respects the exercise. Worst advice? ever receive it.
1: You need a co-founder.
0: Perfect. (laughs) And now we go into, uh, into the resources, uh, favorite book.
1: That's a hard one. Um, I think start with why is one of my favorite books.
0: Simon Sinek, uh, favorite movie or series.
1: A good year. It's my favorite
0: movie. I need to check that one. Uh, the, the favorite podcast excluding this one, of course.
1: <laughs> um, I have several, but I will go with The Knowledge Project. I found some very interesting stories there. Knowledge Projects.
0: I need to put together a list with my team for everyone uh, who is listening because the resources here are really, really amazing. I'm, I'm learning so <laughs> much and I'm in increasing my resource list to, to amazing stuff and amazing content. Stay, any other topic, any other thing that I should have asked you, any, any other message that you'd like to, to share today with, with our community and, uh, and the audience that is listening to us?
1: Um, yeah, I would say that, you know, Melinda Gates, uh, is the woman that has a lot of resources in her favor. And I think this is my personal interpretation of her, of her, I guess, passage of her moments in life. At some point, she decided to think about what can she do, uh, to leave the best outcome possible in humanity or for humankind. And her conclusion was based on a lot of research and a lot of data that investing in women's reproductive health, which is contraception, fertility, and you know diseases, um, was the best return on investment that you can do for a society. So uh, I love that, and there's a book on that too. But we don't have you don't have to read it. I think the big conclusion is. That, that you know investing in women's reproductive health and giving them the ability to make the best decisions for their lives is the best uh, investment that we can do in humankind.
0: love it. Uh, and, and it is a good way of seeing also the huge opportunity and, and the vision for for the future uh, with uh, if, if we take more care and if we give more care to, to, to solve into solving this problem, um i think that's 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 a great return as well so it's 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 a great cause for all of us as a as, as a human beings and at the same time uh, a great investment with a great return so there, there there was there is no better way of closing the show so, steph thank you so much for joining us today it was really a pleasure to host you and you are more than welcome to to come back to keep sharing your your journey with care.
1: Thank you Mike, thanks for inviting me and for all the very thoughtful questions, I really appreciate it.
0: (laughs) Thank you and to our community, as you see we keep bringing you the best of the best, Uh, every story is quite unique and we can always uh, learn a lot, and have the best practices at the same time understanding uh, that The playbook sometimes doesn't apply and we need to be able to follow our intuition, the purpose and and stay alive and keep moving forward. See you soon and keep scaling.